Well, hello, and thank you for joining the Sub-Zero Coffee Podcast. I'm Kirk Pearson, the host of the podcast, and today I'm joined by one of my favorite coffee roasters in the world and coffee professionals. Very excited to have this guy. I've been harassing him to come on the podcast for quite some time. Today's guest is all the way from Canada, and that is Benjamin Putt. He's based in, in Calgary, from my understanding. Welcome to the podcast, Ben. Thanks very much. That's an excellent Canadian accent. You're ready to come and visit. Yeah, well, you know, I, I, I watch a lot of South Park and my stepmom's Canadian, so I, 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 know the, I know the key differences on how to tell a Canadian from an American. Yeah, it sounds well-practiced. We had a, an Australian barista for a while that had a really good Canadian accent, so maybe I think it's easier to go from Australian to Canadian than Canadian to Australian, maybe. Well, Ben, just do me a favour. Say the word about. Uh, about. Okay, I don't you, do the aboot. I don't do the aboot. Sorry. Okay, well, you, you, you just kind of flipped that whole thing on its head. You kind of sandbagged me there, Ben. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, I kind of ruined it, didn't I? Nah, but it, it's all good. It's all good. Um, how's things over in Canada? It's summertime over there? Yeah, it's it's beautiful. Uh, we're, we're fairly far north, so summers are super long here. It's it's actually been hot. Like, it got up to 30 degrees the past couple of weeks. Um, people that's cute. Are, because of cold. Yeah, I know, right? Yeah, that's... <laughs> um people are outdoors a lot due to covid um lots of people are drinking coffee all things considered uh, things are pretty good here well we were just talking uh off air so to speak on, on about coronavirus and um how many cases have you had in canada now we're pretty high i think i think we're just over 100 yeah, okay. um but it's 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 very regional so like there's some of the some of the provinces don't have many cases at all and, and some have quite a bit um, Calgary has, has a fair number for our province. Um, and so that's something we're definitely trying to get under control. And, and even as, um, uh, a coffee company with cafes, it's something we're, we're trying to be very mindful of. Yeah. Well, it's interesting in Australia, it, there's only two States that really have coronavirus. The, so there's, uh, geez, I can't even remember eight or nine States in States and territories in Australia. And, um, most of the population is concentrated in New South Wales and Victoria, Victoria has the largest outbreak by a long mile and the entire state's in, in a lockdown right now. And then New South Wales getting about 10 new cases a day, sort of thereabouts. And then the rest of the country's free. And it's, you know, it's, all, it's in all the warmer states. You've got South Australia, Western Australia, Northern Territory and Queensland. They're all out in the sun having a hell of a time going to the football, <laughs> can go to a restaurant. And I'm sitting in my house locked down and it's just like, damn, you guys, they, they've got a good, it's like another planet. Did you bring a freezer to your apartment, though? Oh, dude. Do you have coffee? Oh, dude. You, I'll um, I'll sh- I'm I'm not recording the video, but I'll show you. I've 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 got the ultimate home setup. So I've basically taken the whole cafe home. Yeah. So I've got two freezers full of all the Sub Zero coffee. Um, I've got a single group Slayer. Thanks to Slayer. Slayer to Slayer. Shout out to Slayer. Wow. Um, Ek, it's like. It's it's pretty stupid, and and I've got some monogram coffee, which is fantastic. Beautiful. I have a when when everything went down, I took a, it was right before the right after the national competition, so we had a, an ek that we had like totally balanced and aligned, and and so that's currently sitting in my kitchen. It's a little too tall, so I'm, it's a little bit in the way. And then I have two freezers of of green coffee, not of roasted, so I don't yeah. I can't just pull it out and and get it going, but. Well, you are a roast. You are a roaster, Ben. So I'm sure you have the means to sort of to fix that issue to to get some brown going. Yeah, yeah, it works out okay. 
Well, Ben, before we get into the, the nitty-gritty coffee stuff, I want to get to know a little bit about you, if you don't mind. What um, We've established where you live. What are your interests outside of coffee? Yeah, so coffee, I think, often can be this all-consuming thing. And so I do have other interests, but I, I think I feel very fortunate in that coffee has been able to fuel a lot of my interests. So I, I think I like learning. Um, I, as time has gone on, I've enjoyed more and more science. It was something I didn't really study much uh, prior to being in coffee. And so I think coffee has often fueled a lot of my intellectual pursuits, but also um, even like sensory pursuits. Uh, um, I, I like food and wine, but I also think coffee sort of ties into that. So I think sometimes there's other things I enjoy, but I think sometimes the answer is like coffee can be someone's life and it's in a way that's not as depressing as it sounds. Mm. Um, but beyond that, um, I studied music uh, in university. So I, when when the country isn't shut down, I, I play music. There's actually a big, um, uh, it's like a big rodeo in uh, Calgary. Stampede. Stampede. Yeah. Yep. So, so this year I was supposed to play like every night, uh, play country music. And that didn't happen. So, so other than that, um, I like, I spend a lot of time with my wife and my, my son. I, we have a, a three-year-old and then I enjoy tasting things and reading. So not, nothing too fancy. Now, oh, well, I mean, music's a quite sophisticated uh, profession. And I think it's very healthy to have, like, I, I, in the infancy of my coffee career, it sort of consumed my life. And I think it's very healthy to have habits outside of coffee, because, uh, interests outside of coffee, rather, because it sort of makes you enjoy the coffee when you're making it and, you know, living the life, it makes it a bit more enjoyable. So, um, you know, nothing, nothing wrong with... Um, Nothing wrong with having interest outside of coffee, but also nothing wrong with it consuming your life either, whatever whatever floats your boat. Yeah, I, I think it's almost finding that balance where if you do so much coffee that uh, even when you're at home, it feels like a job. Like if, you, if it's a fully blurred line between work and enjoyment, then mm. I think it doesn't work. If you have enough going on that you can say, okay, this is clearly coffee work and I'm getting paid for it or whatever, and, and this is something that I just enjoy when those lines start to get blurred, I think it's easier for them to get blurred uh, as a small business owner, then I think you need to start being careful. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, outside of that, uh, Ben, are you, a, are you a Flames fan? Does this make you a Flames fan? No, the, the funny thing is um, I don't really, like the, this comes back to coffee being sort of part of the life. My sport kind of is competition. So like mm. I've watched, I've watched pretty much every every WBC video, like even the, I think lots of people watch like finals and semifinals, but like I'll often years watch all the way down to the last place. And, and because I think they're, they're always interesting. So I, I wish I could say I'm like a proud flames fan. Um, like we have some players like we have a downtown location. And so often hockey teams will come and coffee there, but I, I've served some, some hockey players and I only find out they're hockey players after, they left the cafe and the people on bar tell me that that was such and such and so and so. So I would say breeze to competition during my sport. Yeah, fair enough. I mean, um, I don't follow hockey regularly, but I find it so fascinating that you know, you're allowed to fight in the sport. You know, they, <laughs> there's like statistics for fights won, fights lost, and um, yeah. you know, just the fact that you know, the rest will let them you know, punch it out is fascinating and... Um, it was a bit barbaric in a way. I, I, I really 
I don't like watching fights. I can't watch UFC and boxing and all that sort of stuff. I always, you know, it makes me feel really sad seeing someone get hurt. But, you know, hey, Canadians, <laughs> ITAKI. It's interesting. Yeah, it's the interesting thing is I, I think it's sort of, it's not it's the same as it used to be, but there used to be players on teams that were enforcers. And basically they weren't great hockey players, but their job was to make sure that the fights, that, that the other team wouldn't go after the best players. Um, and so that if you hurt one of their players, there was someone on the team that could hurt you more. Uh, mm -hmm. It doesn't happen to the same amount, but yeah, hockey, hockey is a weird one. Um, and I think, I think it's starting to get cleaned up a bit, but you know, it's, it's still, it's still a bit of an odd duck. Yeah. Well, it's a very interesting sport, but let's get into some, some, some Ben put coffee stuff. Now, how did you get your start in coffee? What age, where were you? How, why? Yeah. Yeah, so I, I think like many people, I took uh, a job in coffee just to make ends meet. I was uh, studying music at the time. And so I think when you're studying music, you sort of assume that you're not going to make it rich. <laughs> and so I, I started in coffee and, and th this was uh, a long time ago. This is, it will, it's coming on 20 years um, in like a couple of years. That um, you've been making and, coffee? Yeah. How old are yeah, you? About, so I'm uh, 34, and then so I I, I guess I'm, I might be about a year off. Like I was maybe 16 or 17 when I started in coffee, and was I guess I was saving up for school. It's funny. And, uh, uh, today's today I'm turning 26. Right, today's my birthday, so I'm 26 years oh, okay. old. Happy birthday! Wow, it, I, I got I got the birthday podcast. You did. You got the birthday podcast, but also um, like you're 34 and I'm 26 now, but. You kind of look twenty six, and I look thirty four. It's it's a bit unfair. No, I no, I def I definitely look older than you, Kirk. Uh, no one can see this this Zoom, but I I can vouch that Kirk looks quite a bit younger and cooler than me. Well, I've got the dark shade, and I've, you might even notice that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You, you might even notice that that light rock back and forth. I got a ghost in it's my nice. house. Um, no, it's nice though. And I've got my girlfriend sleeping in my bedroom, which I've usually had this in. I usually have this podcast set up in my bedroom, so I moved it out here so I wouldn't wake her up because it's. 6 a.m. here in here in Australia on August the 11th, um, and but anyway, that, we're getting a bit off track um, there. But yeah, so tw you've been making coffee nearly 20 years. Yeah, so this was so long ago that this predates like Instagram and YouTube channels having tons of last year. And uh, my boss, I was working at like a big chain shop, um, and my boss brought actually brought in a newspaper article that talked. About latte art, um, and that was the the only introduction I had to latte art at that point. And I decided that uh, I would try and learn based on that, and spend a whole bunch of time learning latte art. But it was similar to like I think in, in to go shops in Australia, if you get some uh, in coffee shops in Australia, if you get something to go, they just put the lid on, right? Like they just no latte yeah, art, they yeah. just blast uh, it and throw market, it on. Market yeah. market lane being the exception, um, they they okay. have you put your own lid on, which probably a safer thing nowadays but yeah you're right so it was the same at this coffee shop that most of it was takeout and so i would i would pour what was basically a, a hideous heart and i'd be so proud of it but still have to put a lid on it this is also long enough ago that i had like a little film camera that i that I would take photos of my latte art and, and uh i sent them to my girlfriend who's now my wife and was super proud of them and retrospect they was hideous and then i, I moved to calgary and there was actually some specialty shops in Calgary and I started working for those and, and still was studying. And, and as time went on, I, I, I never had a moment where 
I knew that coffee would be my career, but it was something that just interested me more and more and, and seemed to fit more and more until, until I was working at a shop full time and, and really enjoying what I was doing. Well, to add on to that, Ben, I think coffee is one of those things where there's so much that we don't know about it yet. Like, you know, as far as the industry's come and it's, you know, the acceleration of sort of information and, and innovation and development in the industry, you know, it's come a long way, even in five years. But there's still so much mm-hmm. we don't know compared to other industries like, you know, for example, wine or you know, food and you know, myriad other industries. There's just so much we don't know, and which is exciting in a way. But sorry, back to you, Ben. From so from there, you're working at the chain coffee shop, um, mm-hmm. sending. And then I worked at a. Oh, sorry. Good. I was just going to say, sending lovely film shots to to your then girlfriend, now wife, mother of your yeah. child. Um, where to from there? Yeah, and so I started working at a, a shop called Film Sebastian. They are like sort of uh, one of the early pioneers of specialty in Calgary. Uh, and was the trainer and then QC person there, did a little bit of work um, with roasting. And then in 2000, end of 2014, uh, started Monogram Coffee with uh, Justin and Jeremy. And we started as this tiny little little pop-up. We had just like a single group uh, GS3, a grinder. We set up in like a, an art store that was in a kind of a cool part of town. Didn't make many drinks, um, but then started building out a shop, uh, opened a shop in 2015. And since then, we've opened two more. And in uh, middle of 2017, we started roasting. So it's been five, they feel like pretty frenetic years of, of growing a business, but it's been super fun and, and super interesting. It Owning a business is never my, my big plan because I think I really care about coffee. And I think when you own a business, you have to start doing things that are not related to coffee. And, and I thought I would really not like that, but as time has gone on, I think um, uh, getting to do things other than coffee has been really healthy and a big learning experience for me. Well, that's a huge inspiration for me, Ben, because I never thought I'd be a business owner as well. And, you know, Sub-Zero is very much in its infancy right now, but we obviously started off doing pop-ups as well. Um, mm-hmm. And um, the idea was that you just celebrate you know, amazing coffee. So, you know, having 40 to 50 different options of everything being like 88 points and above, it was just like the barista candy land, so to speak. So, and we just opened up a shop. It's not, it's not yet a permanent thing. Uh, we, we need to sort of hit sort of targets to be able to stay there. But, um, and when this lockdown finishes, hopefully we get that opportunity, but that's a huge inspiration for me, Ben. And, um, you know, I like those humble beginning story, like what you've just mentioned. And if anyone's read Colin Harmon's book, started in the bottom of a nightclub or something like that. And yeah, it's a, that's a massive inspiration. It's, it's a great story. I, I also think I'm probably biased because I'm one of those people, but I think that um, you can be, a, I think a lot of good business owners are the ones that didn't want to own businesses because they sort of, they love the other parts of the business that aren't just like um, revenues and trying to make money. Obviously those are important parts, but I think there's something to be said for people that um, find themselves in positions of ownership when it wasn't necessarily their goal. Like, I think it's an interesting thing to be in because basically you have to start to build a business that will still appeal to you and, and can still get you excited and, and find new, I think you find new facets of yourself. So something that I, I didn't think I wanted to do, was manage people. It's just not something that, that interests me at first. 
and as time has gone on and I, I really feel like our company um, has been a good place for people to grow and learn. And, and that's been exciting for me as well. So I would, even though you don't want to own a business, Kirk, I think you'll enjoy it as, as time goes on. And, and you really are building like a, a dream cafe in terms of what Sub-Zero is doing. It's super cool. Oh, well, mate, that's that's incredibly kind of you. And hopefully we get our opportunity to sort of expose ourselves. And obviously with the lockdown happening, it's it's a bit hard. But, um, you know, before COVID, things were great. <laughs> like, you know, we, 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 were, we had these pop-ups and they were hugely um, popular and a lot more popular than I was expecting. And I started, I started Sub-Zero as, as a bit of a side hustle because... I wanted to be a journalist and, um, you know, in the week before the first pop-up, I interviewed for a journalist position in a country town in Australia and I didn't get it. But then um, I think the whole Sub-Zero thing just re- it rekindled my love for coffee. But, uh, Ben, I'm just reading your website uh, just before we hopped on. Got the mission statement of Monogram and the first sentence of which is, Monogram exists to positively change people's lives through coffee, and it's an in, it's interesting thing you say because you you, you mentioned that you didn't intentionally um, mean to become a business. Um, I guess it's your obviously your love of coffee and your desire to sort of influence people's thoughts on coffee that drives the the business because it's the passion that really gets you there. I mean, like business is tough um, at the best in in the easiest of times, but is it is it your passion and your willingness to change people's lives through coffee that keeps you going? Yeah, that's a big part of it. I also think there's something. So I, I think being a barista is not an easy job. I also think something that um, was stressful for me before I owned a business is I feel like every year you spend in coffee, um, you're developing a really specific skill set to the industry. Unless you are in an area of, of coffee that is very specific to like marketing or managing. If you're in a QC part of coffee, um, especially if you're like a roaster and then you go and want to do something else, you've really, you've really um, painted yourself into a corner a bit in terms of that skill set. And so I think being a barista can often be a really scary job that the longer you're in it, the less likely you are to be able to get out of it uh, for better or worse. And so I think that's something that's really important to us is, is trying to use coffee to improve um, hopefully everyone in the chain. So not only producers, but also, staff and even customers and and i think that lets it um it lets the day-to-day stuff start to make a bit more sense if you have this this bigger bigger goal in mind i also think there's something interesting that's um doesn't happen as often but you're also a case of it where uh the people starting businesses are baristas it's where they've worked bar they know what's hard about it um they've sort of been in the trenches a little bit I think that's also something that specialty coffee needs more and more of um, is people that have actually worked as baristas and, and know what it's like to be eating off a barista's um, wage. Well, I think um, I think to add to that, Ben, a lot of the best ideas, the most creative ideas and the most skilled people are actually the most under-resourced. So, you know, baristas around the world aren't, you know, uh, the, the, it's not the highest paying profession, but... You know, it's in a bit of it's a bit of a shame that a lot of the most a lot of the people with the brightest ideas, um, you know, probably don't get recognised in terms of remuneration for their for their service. But also, you know, th- their ideas just never make it to the surface because, um, you know, they they literally might not have the money to put that creativity to to 
to to fruition that it might the the ideas shame, uh, ashamedly would 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 never make it to the surface, which I think is yeah, it's a bit of a indictment on, on the industry, and you know hopefully something that changes over time. But um, yeah, there's my two cents. <laughs> Yeah, I, but I even I even think Sub Zero is a good example of that. That's very much like a. Uh, I I think that idea can only come from a barista, and I think it would require it requires like a very talented set of baristas to pull off um, something where you have that many coffees. Um, even I imagine dialing them must be a nightmare because you you bring in a few pounds, and the more you dial that coffee, the less of that coffee you have to sell. Um, so it, it, even something like that, I think is something that can only be, be done by a, a good team of baristas. Yeah. Well, I, the, everyone that works with me is extremely high skilled. So we've got Todd, who's my business partner now, and he's, um, yeah. he's worked in some very prominent coffee shops and been in brisk competition. And then Connor and Haney from owner coffee, um, two very skilled guys that when COVID permits, I fly them to the shop and they, they come help out as well. And, it's good because we, we exchange ideas between ourselves, but um, it's not a very lucrative venture so far, <laughs> Sub-Zero Coffee. You had, I can't say it pays the bills, but, um, you know, just yet. But, you know, we're you know shooting for the stars. And, um, you know, I think particularly during a pandemic, you know, opening a shop during a lockdown and stuff like that, it's going back to what we were sort of discussing before is that it's, just the the burning desire for this idea to work, you know, that we we can present coffee as so much more than just coffee, um, is what's keeping Todd and I going right now. It's just like a lot of people I know have just sort of thrown in the towel, lost their jobs, live, you know, getting the um, you know, the welfare and that sort of thing, and it's which is fine. I completely understand. This is uh, unprecedented circumstance and one that I never thought would happen in my lifetime and perhaps you would as well but it's mm -hmm. just like right now I'm in a sort of state of mind where I'd rather probably die than let this idea die <laughs> but something I, I wondered about were were a lot of shops in Australia um, investing in banking on the WBC attending because I feel like that's probably three weeks of of much higher sales especially for something like Sub-Zero where it's so um, like niche to specialty in, in some regards? Well, I can't speak for large companies. So I'm just, I'm not in that sort of inner circle, but I would, my presumptive answer would be yes, um, because, well, it's exciting. It's, it's me like Melbourne, you know, is hosting the World Brewster Championship again, and Melbourne is a city that prides itself being, uh, you know, the global capital of coffee, you know, whether or not that that's entirely true, I'll, I'll let other people um, sort of determine. But um, yeah, there was a lot of buzz around that and a lot of people were preparing. I think it's more so the disappointment would be, yeah, there'd be a significant amount of disappointment uh, from business from a business perspective in the sort of lost um, opportunity and revenue and whatnot. But I think there's a large sense of disappointment in we just didn't get to do it. And the yeah. it's, um, you know, it would have been so enjoyable and, you know, I was looking forward to meeting you and I'm looking forward to meeting all the different competitors and looking forward to just showcasing my idea to the rest of the world as well. It would have been great. Um, and just having that, you know, coffee community together again would have been fantastic. So, I mean, yeah, just it's, it's, it's a very disappointing circumstance and Australia is in a position where we're not actually accepting people from overseas right now. So no one can come travel here. 
um, unless there's like a it's like a diplomatic purpose or or something like that. Um, so you know, even if you wanted to, you couldn't come. So mm. and that's likely not going to change until there's a vaccine. So wow, yeah. So the obviously with coronavirus spreading around the world, it's um, yeah, it's just. I think it's just the government sort of um, determined that it's too risky. What's it like in Canada? Are you accepting incoming flights or? I th- I think most of our borders are closed, if I remember correctly. And then if yeah, if you do come in, you have to um, you have to to isolate. Um, the one of the tricky things. I don't think it's happened too much, but there were some people from the U.S. that were coming into Canada, saying that they were driving to Alaska because Alaska is is north of Canada, mm-hmm. and then they would just stop uh in canada and have a bit of vacation and then drive back so uh, for the most for the most part no one's getting in but there's a couple there's a couple uh you know sneaky people that have managed to sneak in a few stragglers yeah exactly well just on the topic of wbc um obviously you're a seasoned veteran you've won three canadian brewster championships is it Four. four. I, oh, I did, sorry sorry bad four no no the the first one the first one i i went and and, and this something sort of interesting, I think that um, I think this is a, a big problem is that when you win the first time, if your country isn't well seasoned or your company isn't well seasoned, you don't really know if your, your routine stacks up, like how it's going to perform on the world stage. Um, so the first year I competed, uh, I made semis uh, and then I got 11th uh, in the world. And so people, people know that I competed three times because I did better the, the following three years. But the, the first year, I think, was really important. But, yeah, the, it's been four. But it's been three as far as most people know. Yeah, right. And have you got a, have you got a particular favorite routine in those three years, do you think? Oh, uh, that's a good question. Um, I think one, one that was very special for me was the, the first year I finaled. Um, the first year I finaled, I had a, a really interesting coffee from Costa Rica, but that was the year that I first introduced the, the vacuum sealer. And so basically in that routine, um, I talked about how the, the same, the same mechanism that forms crema, which is basically the CO2 that's produced when you're roasting, uh, that the bubbles that leave the liquid to create crema are also dissolved within, um, within the liquid. And they create something called carbonic acid. And so basically by putting the, the liquid in a vacuum sealer, you can remove that carbonic acid and it changes the flavor of the coffee. Um, and I, I, to me, this was a really new thing and it was really exciting. It was also the first year I made finals because I also think when you compete, your standards change, right? So like the, the first time I made finals in Canada, that was super exciting. But the next year you make finals, you want to win. And, and so... I think the first year you final at Worlds is, is super, super special. Not to say that the other ones aren't, um, but there's something neat about the very first time they call your name for finals and you get to, to serve coffee to like WBC champions and, and all that. So that was definitely a favorite. Yeah, well, I can only hope that one day I get there. Um, I've, I've done one season of competitions in Australia and um, obviously didn't win, but... You know, I look forward to hopefully one day, you know, being able to to compete for to be in that spot, and yeah, it must be must be awesome getting to firstly win a competition, and then going to travel across the world, which would be stressful as well. But um, mate, must be must be exciting. Will you keep competing? 
Yeah, of course. Um, I took a. Oh, I, great. I took a. I took a break last year. <laughs> I took a break after one year, but um, yeah, I just I just didn't. I was I was feeling a bit burnt out last year through work, and I didn't actually know if I wanted to stay in the coffee industry, and um, and just decided not to compete because I just felt well the passion wasn't there, but. You know, I've got blood dripping from the fangs now. I just, I just can't, I just can't wait to get back into it. And um, you know, it's a bit of a, it's a bit of a shame what's happened in Australia this year. But I've got, I'm saving coffee right now for, you know, I've got some coffee just tucked away deep in the freezer for, oh, good. you know, just it's just an option for, you know, if if that ever goes ahead. Um, ben, question question that I did want to ask you. That obviously, we've spoken about your business, Monogram Coffee, and now you're competing is there a comp is is there like did competition propel you and your business and like is there a is there a correlation between the success of your business and the success that you had in competition like when you won the canadian brewster championship did that recognition sort of make things better for monogram coffee yeah definitely so i i think that there's um i think there's two things that happen so on the one of the best things that can happen is that you win your your competition on a slow news day, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> because okay. basically, uh, I think news store, news uh, outlets are always willing and a like a coffee story is a fun story to talk about, and so I think we've enjoyed that where it's something that just gets picked up a lot, and so that can spread a lot of buzz. I think there's also something where. Uh, and maybe you've experienced this with Sub-Zero, that buzz within the community, like the coffee community, also results in, in people viewing you differently in terms of like cafes wanting to use your coffee or baristas like suggesting when someone visits town, uh, they go there. So I, it's definitely been something that has been positive for us. The other thing too that, um, and there's not always a correlation there, but there's an assumption that if you do well in a barista competition, that your cafe is also good. And generally that that's true, but there's some people, there's some companies where they put a, a different focus on sourcing and roasting than they do in competition. But it's generally assumed that if you get first place in some competition, you're going to walk into their cafe and drink good coffee there as well. So we've sort of benefited from all those things. I would definitely say um, Monogram has, like it was definitely a, a big uh, push when we first started in terms of getting us going. And I'm just, uh, I just, I just, this all just got me thinking while um, while you're answering that question. I, I wanted to know what what do you what were the coffees that you used during your competitions? Because I know oh, yeah, yeah. I, the the you mentioned your Costa Rican, but um, the 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 coffees that you used in your in Seoul, the the ninety yeah. plus coffees. I just I just yeah. heard about that. And I was thinking, geez, you, th- that's the thing about you know you said before that you've watched all these barista competitions. Man, when you hear people talk about it, you just, don't you just think, "Oh man, I want to drink that coffee." And that, that's um, so. That's actually something we're working on as well. So, um, uh, one of our baristas just won the Canadians, and so we're trying to solve a bit of that problem of, "Man, I want to drink that coffee." Um, and and we're trying to figure out creative ways to that when when you watch our barista compete, that you'll be able to taste your coffee. I can't remember all the, so I competed a lot. I've competed like, I think 10 years now. So I can't remember all the regional coffees, but for worlds, uh, the first year um, I competed, I competed for Phil and Sebastian and I used uh, coffee from Costa Rica. It was a a honey processed coffee from, 
the Granitos. It was like La Granadilla, I think was the farm. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was, it was a uh, Catuayi. It was like the big thing about that coffee was, it was super, super sweet, um, like really balanced. I think that coffee, this was right around the time, this was in Rimini. So it was like 2014. I think it was right around the time that the big crazy coffee started to, to pop up more and more uh, where naturals started to do better. So timing wise, I think that coffee was really, really good, but maybe I should have had something a bit bigger. The following year, I also used to Costa Rican coffee. It was um, it was a naturally processed coffee that um, uh, was, they think it was Java. Like it had just like a really uh, interesting flavor profile um, and, and was like quite pineapple-y. And, and for a Costa Rican coffee, it was, it was something that I, I had never really tasted before. Uh, and then for the next two years, I used 90 plus coffees. So in Dublin, I used uh, Simona Bay, which is uh, an experimental natural processed coffee from Ethiopia. Mm-hmm. Um, a really interesting coffee, like the, that coffee, uh, when you grind it, the aroma fills the entire room. Like, so the year before, uh, Odd Steiner had used that coffee to win Brewer's Cup. Yep. And uh, someone, I can't remember who it was, someone was competing that year. And Odd ground his coffee and the guy was like 10 meters away and he could smell it. And he basically looked at his coach and said, like, we're not, <laughs> we're not winning this year. Um, Cause it's one of those coffees that's just so big and complex um, and interesting. And, and the other thing that really worked well about it, that I haven't really found since is it was one of those big, huge naturals that still taste good as espresso and balance, but also present really well in milk. I think as time has changed, um, there's, there's been a, a movement to, to actually splitting it up, having like uh, a different coffee for espresso than milk. Um, and that coffee, for whatever reason, could do both quite, quite well. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then in Seoul, Seoul was interesting because the first, the first three years I went to Worlds, I didn't, I had choices over my coffee, but they were always like a little bit last minute decisions. Like this just came in. Do you think it'll work or, or this is your plan B? Like, and it, it made it really hard with signature drinks too. Cause before Dublin, I got that coffee two weeks before I flew out. So that's two weeks and I had five pounds. Um, so for dialing and making signature drinks, it, it was quite last minute, but then in Seoul, I kind of, I went to the farm. That was the first time I went to actually choose my coffee and, and sort of had to pick Joseph, let me have anything I wanted. And so I used uh, a really nice washed coffee. Uh, a geisha from um, 90 plus and then I also used the geisha from uh, naturally processed coffee that they made it was lot 236 it's a really similar profile to the coffee that won Brewers Cup that year and that coffee was just like uh, a fruit bomb that was also the first year I did freeze distilled milk um, so that that drink was just really really good so in the I think it was in the semi-finals round I I've never achieved a six on milk but I I almost had one. The only reason I didn't get one, that it was a strict panel that year. I had four flavor notes and they got, I presented an order and they, they thought my third and fourth flavor note were flipped. Uh, but otherwise that would have been, I would have had a six for, for milk. So I was close, like but cherry chocolate truffle, uh, uh, Irish coffee liqueur. Yeah. 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 And I, I can't remember what the last one was. Well, mate, I remember it clearly and just sort of drooling, um, you know, 
drooling, wishing I could have uh, could have drunk some. And some of those ninety plus coffees are absolutely whack. We had a Percy uh, Panama Percy from ninety plus that was roasted by Momo's yeah. coffee that we served at uh, one of our pop ups, and it was kind of weird because when you ground it, it like it didn't smell particularly enticing, to be honest. It smelled a bit like Vegemite. And for any non-Australian, that yeah. probably sounds, you know, sounds very um, unappealing. But when you brew it, it was so complex. It was just like, it was so sweet and delicious. And, you know, I can understand why some would perhaps think it's a bit too intense for them. And, you know, that's fair enough. But, you know, the coffee, the, the, the way those coffees brew is just so interesting. And, um, you know... It's 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 funny because I was charging like thirty dollars for a pour of a Australian, which is yep. a lot of money for one cup of coffee. It's probably twenty five dollars Canadian or something. And um, I had a bloke come up to me and say, uh, "Are you kidding yourself, mate? You're charging thirty dollars for a coffee?" And I said, "Oh yeah." And he goes, <laughs> "Great. Well, I'll have two of those for him and his family." And just they thought, "Well, we're, we'll try something different." And I think I blew their heads off. I think it was it was kind of like, yeah. Have you ever seen Austin Powers with the fembots and he does those dance moves yeah. and their heads sort of cannot compute and explode? <laughs> I did that to some people with coffee. It was great. I think those those coffees can be tricky though, uh, if you treat them the same way as everything else. Like I think you really need um what I, what I've experienced with the more fermented coffees lately is that if you give them I don't I don't know what I, everyone else thinks but we tend to underdevelop them a little bit which sort of turns out not being underdeveloped because if you if you develop the coffee as much as you think it should be you really start to get into those vegemite savory um more umami type stuff mm. i find it the same i find it the same with the brewing that i like much faster brews on those coffees because i think they have a bunch of savory flavors that if there's a lot of contact time or extraction on those coffees they they tend to to move closer to those and so I, I think they're, they're definitely, they're tricky coffees, but I also think out of them that there's more expression that a barista can have on them. Cause you can take that, you can take that coffee. It's been roasted the same way and present either a lot of fruits or a lot more like savory mummy stuff. Yeah. Well, we're entering a period in coffee processing where, you know, people are just, you know, trying so many different things. Like the, the best anaerobic ferment I've ever had is a coffee you roasted, which I'm always going on about the cinnamon donut, which is the, uh, yeah. anaerobic natural from Kobe de Dota produced by um, Esteban Villalobos. You know, excellent coffee. And that was another coffee that people walked in from 10 metres away and said, what the fuck is that? <laughs> it, was pretty, it was pretty funny at, at our first pop-up. And, you know, you don't use, you know, when you sell frozen coffee and filter coffee, we portion into about 15 gram doses. Um, I think I bought a kilo of that from you for the first pop-up. Yeah. And we sold it all. Which is, wow. you know, which is a lot and, um, yeah. you know, for frozen coffee. So, yeah, we're, it's, um, yeah, there's some, some really interesting stuff. And speaking to uh, Ben Tooby, who writes for me, um, he, he's definitely of the belief that you know, anaerobic coffees are sort of more soluble when you brew them. So you don't need to develop them as much, which is, I can't give a scientific explanation as to why that is. But, um, it, you know, it's, it's great that you think so as well. So perhaps we're um, onto something there, Ben. Well, he, that, that, that Ben is quite a legend. So if, if he agrees, then uh, that just, you know, that's the can, the cherry on top. He is quite a legend. I'm very lucky to sort of have him in the corner of Sub-Zero. And we're, we have some incredible coffees coming, by the way. It's um, so excited. I won't, I won't, um, I won't 
tease everyone just yet, but we've got some really awesome stuff coming. But Ben, um, moving on, uh, I have noticed in your Instagram feed over the past sort of few months with uh, that you're becoming a bit more vocal uh, in terms of social justice issues with respect to um, particularly Black Lives Matter and what's happening in America. Um, is there a similar sort of situation in Canada with sort of in uh, systemic racism and and um, I'll just go ahead and acknowledge that I personally am of the belief that yes there is systemic and entrenched racism um, in Australia um, and it would very much appear to be the case in America um, you know it's I, I don't think many people in around the world could could really disagree is it the same situation in Canada yeah so I, I think I think Canadians um, are quick to pat ourselves on the back because we often look to the States and say, that's not us. And it really is us. Like we still, um, we, we have had systemic racism. There's actually, a, um, there was um, a black community in Canada that the government like basically tried to annihilate that city. And we also have a, a long history of, um, of racism against indigenous. Um, we had, um, schools that would separate uh, indigenous children from their families and there's a large um, history of abuse there and and something that i think um many specialty coffee shops and us included it wasn't really as much on our radar as it should have been i think it's really easy to uh it's easy to talk about like paying good wages to producers trying to make things more equitable there but but it's easy to ignore what's happening in our your own backyard and that's something i've definitely been guilty of and and I think um, I often I often tell myself that it's just coffee and, and that my platform isn't that big. And something that I think I've realized is that it might not be huge, but I need to start playing more of a role. Um, and I think that also means like being involved, um, reaching that out to a competition as well. So I have some ideas on how I want to do that. And it's something that I'm, I'm by no means an expert on, but I'm, I'm hoping to learn and see what Monogram can do with that. I think the hard thing though is that yeah, Canada, we want to pretend that we don't have that because it's really easy to point to the states and like say they did a worse job than we did. And and I think that many Canadians are starting to to have to grapple with the fact that we haven't done a, a very good job. And and the other thing that's shocking to me is how recent, well, a lot of it's still going on, but how recent, like you don't have to go back that many generations to have people that where their grandparents were slaves or or just suffered like really really horribly and and then even within within Canada's history the the residential schools are are very very recent and so we have a lot um to do uh, right now for sure yeah it's interesting that you acknowledge that and I think it's um, largely the same in Australia in Australia we're a very fortunate country in, in with you know you look at the minimum wage and you know, compared to a lot of countries, it's significantly higher. You look at the social safety net, the, if you lose your job, like you know many Australians have right now, the government's sort of there to back you up. And so there's probably this, you know, and living in the city particularly, you, we, you know, it's almost a different planet. Now, last year, uh, I, my sister was living in Darwin, which is a city in nor uh, far north Australia, and uh, the population of that whole state, which is the Northern Territory, is about f half a million from memory. Um, and I think it was really confronting and opened my eyes to the plight of Aboriginal Australians, which is, um, 
you know, you go there and you see a lot of workers that fly there for, you know, big uh, infrastructure projects or mining and stuff like that. And so and, and it's obviously there's a lot of Caucasian sort of workers and they're getting they're you know, being paid these really high salaries to go th- to go be there and they're spending a lot of it at the pub. They've got these big shiny trucks and utes and whatnot. And then there's Aboriginal Australians who um, a lot of them, and this isn't, um, this, I don't say this to, to sort of demean anyone in any way, but, you know, you see a lot of them in drinking on the street, you know, asking for money and, um, and their communities have sort of been overwhelmed by white Australia. And, you know, we, it, it, it was something I've reflected on in a lot lately in, in the sense that um, we, we, have the, we, we don't even recognise Aboriginals as the traditional sort of owners in this land in our constitution. And the, uh, they were recognised mm. as like flora and fauna until like 60 years ago or something, which is wow. ridiculous. Um, and, um, yeah, we, we have this thing called Native Title Act in Australia where sort of the Aboriginal community has to go and which which this this should sound this I understand would sound pretty ridiculous to you. They have to go to court and try and prove that the land that land was originally theirs and it has to be awarded by a white judge back to them. It just really? it, yeah, it just seems so so damn strange. And then mining companies are, a lot of the time they go and because um, obviously as minerals and mine uh, minerals are a big export uh, of Australia's. You know we it's it's kind of where where we make a lot of our money as a country, um, you know they they take over these sacred Aboriginal sites and there was a really high profile case um, a few months ago in Australia where Rio Tinto blew up a forty thousand year old Aboriginal cave with some of the most beautiful artwork. You know Aboriginal rock painting is you know something that's very special and 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 lasts thousands of years and they just blew this cave up and um, I don't know that's you know, uh, sorry, I'm, uh, this is going on a tangent and, I'm, and sort of deviating from where we sort of started speaking about Black Lives Matter, but um, it just makes me recognise that, yeah, look, I'm not the most vocal about it on social media, but, yeah, we've got it easy comparatively and if we can sort of make influence through coffee in our own community and, and sort of bring recognition to that, then that can only be a good thing, I would have thought. Yeah, and I, I think the other thing that that we really really was pointed out to us at Monogram is is also representation in, in specialty coffee, and and I think that if you look at coffee in Canada, and and Monogram is guilty of this as well, that there are there are not many Black people that work in coffee, there are not many Indigenous people that work in coffee, and so we really have to investigate the whole system of coffee and and what's what's keeping people out. Um, I think it can be the neighborhoods that you put your shops in, um, how you how you phrase things, where you post job postings, um, and so that's something that I think that we have to investigate um, to figure out like what systems are we doing that are keeping people out of our shops, both as customers and and as staff. And that I think until until we've sorted that out, that we there's a long long way to go. And I think. I think probably almost all of specialty um, is probably underrepresented in those in those areas. Mm. And what 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 can we do beyond that to to help be more inclusive? And you know, we I think we're making strides in your company, particularly in you know, being more um, 
inclusive of LBGTQI sort of communities and um, and and you know what what can we do to be more inclusive and recognize that how can we invite more people to have success in the coffee industry? So I, I we're, we're I think we're sort of at the the baby stage of this still, but something that we we were just talking about last week is often when we post um, for job hirings, we post on Instagram and and most of a large amount of our followers are are white. And so we're we're basically sending out a job application search to a largely white um, subset of people. And so that's the first thing that we're looking at is, is where can we post um, where it's not sort of cherry picked? Because basically, if most of your customers are white, and then you ask those customers, does anyone want to work for us? There's a good chance you're going to get mostly white job applicants. And then this, this cycle is just going to repeat and repeat and repeat. Because if all your baristas are white, um, the, you're not really setting up a, a welcoming environment um, for everyone. And so that, that's a big thing that we're trying to figure out um, is, is all like the little things that add up to be a really, really big thing. I think that's like the first place that you should start. Like we're also looking at how we can be more involved in, in other communities and reach out um, to communities. Because that's the other thing that we've noticed is that um, the groups that reach out for support or sponsorships or collaborations are generally also customers or people that know you through certain ways. And so again, if you're, if most of your customer base is, is white or wealthier, they're the issues that get brought to you are, are their issues. And so you're basically keeping this, this small subset and you might, you might be trying to do good things and sponsoring things and, you, and you're probably doing good things in your community. But if you're really trying to reach something broader, you have to realize, where you've created systems that are sort of disenfranchising um, certain groups. Yeah. And we're, we're, we're just sort of at the start of that and, and learning. So by no means are we perfect at it, but it's something that we're working towards. And a lot of commentary I read sort of suggests that there's, um, and I haven't done a whole lot of, I should acknowledge, I haven't done a whole lot of you know, extensive reading or research into this, but from the information I've had presented to me, it seems that, you know, having a more diverse workforce can sort of have benefits to a company as well beyond you know making money it, it, you know having that more diverse workforce constructs you in a way that sort of has social justice um will improve social justice qualities and 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 you know can it help improve communities as well if, if, if you if you have someone from a different background that is in your shop that might even be able to for example speak a different language that uh, is unknown to you that can have benefits for, for customers that you might have that don't perhaps don't speak English or French. Do you, do you speak French a lot in um, Calgary or? We're a little too far west to be speaking much French, but we have we have a couple of French speakers. A couple of French speakers anyway, but the, the diversity yeah. sort of pays off in, in ways that, you know, a lot of us perhaps don't even realize exist yet. Yeah. And I think, I think there's sort of a two-sided thing to all these movements. So I think, I think one businesses need to realize that um, that there is there are advantages to their business and being more diverse. But I also think there's a there's also um, I think for a long time businesses have been able to justify their actions based on profits alone and just saying this is what the more profitable move is. How can you judge us for for trying to make money? And I think that moving forward, especially in in specialty where we've really stamped our name on we are more ethical than other versions of coffee. 
if we really want to live up to that, I think that it is okay for a business to make a, a decision that is less financially viable and is more ethical. And I think more and more things like that need to happen. And, and something that I think, um, this is a little on ten, off tangent, but uh, something that we talk about a lot is how much we pay for coffee, right? And the thing that I find funny about that is like, you're paying for good coffee. You're paying for something that is more rare that you've identified is more valuable. So there's nothing really impressive that about that, that five pounds of Gesha that no one else has. Of course you paid more for it. There wasn't much of it. And so I think something that's going to have to move forward with specialty is the thing that we've stamped as ethical, where you pay a higher price for something that you admit should be more expensive. Uh, we need a new standard for what ethical means in our industry. Um, and that might mean changing the models that you pay producers, being more involved in the ground. But I think if, if we just try and hang our hat on this, it's basically a supply and demand thing. Uh, it's not going to last long in people's eyes. Yeah, and I, th- I think uh, that got me onto a thought that there's probably a lot of unrecognized sort of inequality in coffee in that. Uh, you say for, say, for example, you're sourcing coffee from Kenya, Burundi, Africa, uh, or Rwanda, sorry. Um, a lot of those people, uh, people of colour, are sort of the lower paid in the supply chain as well. And also in, a, in the context of, you know, COVID-19, stand to lose a lot more as well. And, you know, because the, the healthcare systems in those countries aren't equipped to, to deal with a pandemic as effectively as you know a country like Canada or Australia, um, which you know presents great issues and there's that sort of I don't know if I I don't know if entrenched racism is the right word and you know if anyone listens to this podcast and and um, and thinks this is inaccurate send me a message and we can we can discuss it but um, but it, there's a lot of inequality there as well Ben because you're you're paying for coffee from producers in in some of those African countries and, and, and countries and even the South, Central and South American countries and any coffee-producing country, it seems to be that the there's a lot of skewed inequality because you know it's, it's typically white people buying the coffee from other people of colour, but the white people see all the financial benefit. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I think and the, the part of the, the problem is that each country is so unique and different. And so there's some countries where... It, when you buy from the producer, you're getting, they were also the person that picked it. And so um, you're, you have more traceability on the supply chain, but then there's other countries where the producer actually, they own other businesses and coffee is a bit of a side project for them. And in that case, um, I still think it's important to pay fair prices to them, but suddenly your concern needs to be still with the pickers. And so I think the other move that needs to happen is we always, I think we need to get as close as possible to the final hand that that touched that coffee when they were picking it and each country it's different and and i think it's been easy for us as an industry to just market the producer right so we say this is the this is the person that that produced the coffee and in each country that can mean something different so sometimes it's like when we talk about the producer we're really talking about the landowner um that is that is a, a wealthy business person and then sometimes when we talk about the producer they are actually it is Part of their part of their farm is growing the vegetables that they need to make it through the year, and the small parts growing coffee. And so, I think some of the language that we use has to change. And I also think, um, for a long time, we've used um, that as marketing material. And I think if we also want to make a bigger impact, 
um, that needs to change as well because you can't, if you had a hundred people picking, you suddenly, it's first of all, it's not right to use them as marketing materials, but secondly, um, that's going to go away if you're focused on larger groups. Um, and I think it's a much more positive thing if we could actually be impacting pickers pay and, and their quality of life as well. Yeah, absolutely. And it's, um, you know, it's all well and good for, for you and I, you know, two white boys to discuss this. And I, I'd very much like to do a podcast on sort of, uh, sort of digging deeper into these issues with sort of people that would have a greater um, sort of, um, greater sort of, uh, would have more information being from a, from a black community or one of those coffee producing countries. So I'd love to do a podcast on that on the future, but um, you know, there's certainly far more we can do. And um, you know, I think the pandemic has sort of um, exposed a lot of issues, not just in coffee around the world in, in sort of every facet of life that um, income inequality um, racism is so looking at America even throughout the pandemic where you would think people need to um, start they need to adhere to social distancing measures and 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 that sort of thing and lockdowns riots started across the country because black people were just so fed up with being targeted by the police in that country and um, and you know you've seen what's happened and, and uh, I'm, I haven't followed it as much lately today is Tuesday the 11th of August here in Australia and um, you know there's still there's still sort of protests going on at the moment yeah and I, I think I think it's I think COVID's been interesting because it's it's really given a, a, a time where people can actually um, focus on these things more and, and so in a sense um, it's it's strange to have both this COVID and also have Black Lives Matter at the same time, but I, I don't know if they if if one would have happened if if the Black Lives Movement would have happened without it. And I think it's um, I think it's a really important movement. So I know that they're not often in all these protests. There's I think they're still being super careful in terms of wearing masks and things like that. And but I think that it's important work that still needs to to happen. Well, to me, I just I ask myself, what choice did they have? You know, like. You know, if people yeah. don't if people don't listen at the best of times, you know, you look at the case. I think most people around the world would be familiar with Trayvon Martin, the the um, the guy that was shot by the young black man that was shot by George Zimmerman a few years back. And then, you know, everyone was pretty shocked to see the video of George Floyd. Then quickly the riots started in Minnesota, and um, you know, all of a sudden it's yeah, it's 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 it's. I really, for me, what's happened, you know. It, it's regrettable that inevitably, you know, COVID would have to be spreading throughout some of these protests. But, you know, I really don't see what choice the movement had other than to do it because, um, you know, who would have, you know, people people haven't been listening up until now. And, you know, I genuinely think it's uh, that it's being more widely acknowledged. There's still obviously a lot of work to go. Yeah, and I also, I also think that there... Um, if you look at other other states like like Florida, the the American like all Americans, I don't think of social distance as much. So Canadians are the same. I think there's a lot more that we can do, and so I think often the the protests can be an easy point to focus because they get a lot of meat. Like there's a lot of photos of these big crowds, but I think there's big crowds through probably almost throughout North America right now. Yeah, absolutely, um, but. Yeah, and the right the right wing media are pretty focused on 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 those sorts of things, and and 
you know, seem to exploit that as as a means to sort of, um, I don't know, to discredit the movement and that sort of thing. But um, that's a matter for them. And hopefully the, through the coffee industry we can make as much influence as we possibly can. But I do want to recognise that the next the next thing I wanted to talk about was uh, something, an, an initiative you recently started in your shops, um, donating a portion of the drink sales to getting masks to producers in Bolivia, particularly the um, Sol de Manana program run by um, AgriCafe and the Rodriguez family, a, fami- a, 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 a program that I'm very familiar with and some pod- some people who listen to this pod- podcast would be familiar with because we discussed it at length with Daniela Rodriguez on the podcast, who I'm sure you know as well. Um, firstly, congratulations on, on um, you know, helping and, and it's good to see that a coffee industry is making a difference to the people that, you know, supply to you and um, Bolivia and South America in general is a area that's very largely affected by coronavirus and lo- the logistics of being able to still produce coffee during this pandemic for um, for, the, for the people at AgriCafe is extraordinary. Like they, they have to, it's kind of like an, it's kind of like they're creating their own bubble in a way, you know, transporting all the workers, yep. making sure their own, sa- they're, they're all safe. It's, I, I, I wonder What's going to happen in the in the coming year if if workers and staff aren't able to to be on the farm to produce coffee? Will we have enough to to sort of satisfy global demand? Yeah, so I, I think it's a very a very interesting uh, issue. I, I think the biggest thing is yeah, trying to protect pickers if that's getting the masks or or creating like groups of pickers that can that are that are kept together so that they if there is COVID, it, it doesn't spread through those communities. I think those are all key things. I, I really wonder what will happen if if those, because from most of the people that I've talked to, the COVID in a lot of producing countries is still mostly in the main cities. Um, but if it starts to spread out, um, I think that can be really hard. I think this is also something that, that green buyers should definitely bear in mind that if those communities have been able to be fairly isolated, um, you should think twice before you jump on a plane, fly for 14 hours and go to those communities. I, I think that will also change the face of green buying, where if you're really thinking about it, if they've, been a- if they've been able to be six hours away from a major city and you're the first person to visit them and that community gets COVID, it's, there's a good likelihood it's going to be coming from you. And so I, I think yeah, it also changes the nature of green buying. I wonder if eventually, like if there's cherries left on trees, because pickers can't get to it. I wonder if maybe some farms will resort to strip picking, which if the, so basically where you just pull all the fruit off the, the branch in one pass, I, I could see that happening eventually if, if things are, are really, really dire. I don't think we're there quite yet, um, but I'm, I'm hoping to, to come back to the, the initiative that, that Monogram did. So we've, we've committed uh, the first ever every month, all the drink sales in all three cafes gets donated to a project. Um, and the project can be within our country or can also be externally to our country. So we've donated some local charities as well. We're opening up to staff to suggest where they think it should go or, or customers. Um, but the, the one with uh, the Sol de, de, de Manana project, uh, I was listening to another podcast, the Boss Barista podcast. And Ashley Rodriguez uh, was talking about how we often talk about coffee as a local product because it was roasted locally, like it's roasted in Calgary, gets brewed in Calgary, but that's not really, we don't think about the locality of where it came from. Mm. And so, so what we're going to try and do um, 
when we when we do these other projects is to try and take some of the value that gets added along the chain as it moves from Bolivia to Calgary, for example, and send some of that value back to that that locality. Um, and so what we're going to do is reach out to our partners of those countries and say, hey, we we have this amount of money and, and what charity or what cause um, would that do to help that community? Because um, I think coffee can have a, a big impact locally, but if we forget that it's also local to these countries, then it's not really having the impact that it should. Yeah, absolutely. And one one thing that I find fascinating when I drink coffee personally is that you know having a menu that's over fifty coffees long and um, really sometimes I just like to sit there and acknowledge what coffee it is I'm drinking, where it's from, and just try and transport myself there, like. You know, drinking a coffee from Ethiopia. Well, you know, what's life like in Ethiopia? I wonder. What's um, you know, Yemen, uh, Yemen, for example. You know, you're drinking this, yeah. you know, this, there's this coffee that's equal parts sort of beautiful in its flavor, but tragic in what the 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 community there has to go through. And in, in many ways, it's just a miracle that you're drinking it. Um, Absolutely. That's something. That's that's just sort of my thinking pattern with respect to drinking coffee. And then you know, having been to Bolivia and Brazil, you know, when when you're drinking coffee from there, just transporting yourself back to those moments and, and um, acknowledging sort of the plights of, of the producers as well because picking is a is a tough job in, even in the usual circumstances and um, I hope that we eventually get to a, a time in, in coffee producing because of, of course you know climate change is a is a threat to coffee as well I hope we get to a time where more and more people get their get their you know get their slice of the pie um, so to speak with with respect to, to the money that comes through coffee. And, you know, hopefully there's a time in 20, 30 years when, you know, people buy some of the more expensive bags of monogram coffee and think, geez, this is a very valuable purchase. I'll do this more often and this looks after more people. I hope we can do this more. You know, I hope we get to that stage. Yeah, I, I think that I think that the that stage is coming. I think people care more and more about um, where where the things they consume are coming from and what they're doing. Uh, I think that uh, for a long time, especially tried to just say like this tastes better, so you, you should buy it. And I think the next movement is is for especially to really figure out what we're doing in terms of ethics buying coffee. Um, and then and then really start to try to continue to educate um, customers um, to to what it is that makes especially coffee different apart just from tasting different. Yeah, well, I, I always draw the draw the link between wine because you know the the problem the, the easy thing about wine is that if you store it correctly, then you know it should taste as is as it should. You know when you open the bottle, you know you, you need to just there's a lot of skill being, in being a sommelier. Don't don't get me wrong, but with coffee, it's like the great challenge is you've got this product, making it is the next the next big thing because that's there's there's a lot you know the coffee's great. You can buy the green coffee and that can be great. Then it has to be roasted really well. Another challenge and takes a lot of skill and nuance to do. Then it has to be brewed well, which is just like good coffee is no accident. And you know, it takes it yeah. takes so much so much skill to do. Um, you know, I hope we get to that point. And when we do, when we can systemize it and make it a little bit easier for for more people to do and more people to consume, I think yeah, we'll get to that point. Absolutely, and, and I think um, Australia, I think, is a good example of. I, I think Australia often is is a, a window to the future for the rest of especially coffee. Um, I think there's a, a, a larger percent of people that are drinking good coffee in Australia. And I think 
we can often use that as an example of, of something to reach towards. Um, I, I definitely know there's a lot more chain, big, big chains in Canada than Australia. And so anytime I look to Australia, that's sort of like the future I hope for, for Canada. Yeah, well, you know, there's 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 a, there's a lot of truth to that, but I would also sort of say that you know a, a lot of people are in it for the wrong reasons now, and there's mm. there's probably there's probably too many specialty coffee shops, and you know, one might think, oh, there's, if there's more buying from producers, then that might be a good thing. But in a way, I don't, I, I sort of don't agree. I think we're devaluing um, coffee by opening too many coffee shops, and and a lot of people, you know, like we like we sort of spoke about at the beginning of the podcast, you know. Some people are in it for you know purely passionate reasons, and some see it as an investment. Which you know, investing in things isn't necessarily a bad thing, and has its benefits at times. But um, you know, hopefully, we can. I think it would drive up the value of coffee more if we had more people in it for the right reasons. Yeah, I also think I think part of it is also the the terminology. So specialty. Like people often say they revert it to a cupping score, but I don't think we ever really use that within like a cafe culture. And so specialty often is, is the trappings of a specialty cafe where you have a nice espresso machine, you have good latte art, you have a good build out. And so I think the other thing is that we need other terms to, to designate really what makes up the, the future of coffee that a lot of people are, are, are aiming for. And I think maybe that's where what you see in a lot of movements is that I, a cafe can look like it's producing specialty coffee, but it might not fit all the definitions of, of what you or I might consider specialty in terms of the, the back end on, on how they're brewing and roasting, but also purchasing coffee. They're selling the sizzle and not the sausage. Absolutely. <laughs> well, well, Ben, I've, we've, we've been going for about an hour and 10 minutes now. It must be, what, 9, 9, 9 p.m. over there in, over in Canada um so i'll i'll um i won't keep you too much longer but we always try and end on a positive and a good question i'd like to ask is we've we've spoken about a few a few coffees that you know you've really enjoyed but what's the best coffee you've ever had you can do like a one two three or if you do have a best coffee oh, hit, hit me best up. coffee well that's a good one so i i think um for me like coming back to that simona by um from ethiopia that coffee was such a, a game changer for me in terms of what what intensity can be. I think we often talk about flavors. Um, uh, he didn't already talked about this a little bit, I think, when he when he won WBC. But often intensity is a, a big thing where like there can be a lot of nice flavors in coffee, but if they don't pop, um, then they're not they're just not going to be there. And to me, that coffee was just so intense and so amazing. Um, Another one for me is, is recently Java's from Bolivia. Mm. Um, the, the Java variety, I never paid them, them much attention, but lately they've just been incredible. And, and something interesting about them is they're actually, they're not related to Tipica and Bourbon. They came out of uh, Africa, went through uh, the Pacific and then arrived in the Western Hemisphere. So they actually have a lot of characteristics to Gesha. They're a long berry, but they also have a, a flavor profile that's quite unlike um, Tipica and Bourbons. Well, I'm very excited then, because I've got some of your Finca La Lama. Um, oh yeah, natural Java that we're we're just saving for when customers are allowed back in store. But very excited. Perfect. Yeah, like it. It. It's to me, it's like another coffee that's similar to Gesha, um, but it's got sort of its own spin on it. Um, and then the other coffee that I had recently, and we've only done one roast of it, but we need to do more as we 
we are fortunate enough to have coffee from Finca Tekesi in Bolivia. Um, yeah, and I, I think you posted that you had one of the their you had their gesha, right? I've got three different Tekesi geshas on the menu: one from Mariama, one from Coffee Collective, and one from Seven Seeds, based here in Melbourne. And all three of them are like top ten coffees. Yeah. Of my so life. to me, yeah, like to me, what that what that gesha is is you know like the first time you had a washed gesha and you tasted like florals and mandarin and tea and all this stuff and then you continue to have them and you sort of know the profile and so they're still exciting but you've, you've kind of had them when you have finca tekesi gesha it brings you for me it brought me back to those first moments of tasting gesha where it's like oh yeah this is why it's so exciting and again it comes down to that intensity where everything is just is just popping like you can taste every note um the aroma is all there like it's such a it, it's just such an intense concentrated version of what is typically a delicate variety yeah and it's 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 interesting that you bring that up because you know we're at a stage in coffee now where you can you get a lot of those wash gashes are far more available than they ever have been before and then, you know, you drink something like I had from Seven Seeds the other day. I almost fell off my chair. It was so good. It was just yeah. just absolutely, you know, an absolute bomb of a coffee. And um, I'm going to write up a little, you know, Sub-Zero top 50 coffees of the year <laughs> soon. And um, and I think you'll find some of those coffees uh, very, very highly placed in that list. But you're a very popular man, Benjamin Put. I noticed you're, you're going to appear on another podcast soon, the the uh, the coffee fixation copy with Mirko podcast, yes. bloody Mirko stealing all my stealing all my guests. <laughs> I, I don't think we have Great. enough. I don't think we have enough like conflict or beef in coffee. So I'm gonna have to I'm gonna have to sort of bump shoulders with Mirko next time I see him. You should. Uh, I wish. If, I wish we could do split screens on Instagram Live. You could just. Uh, you could like uh, crash his party. I, I'd loop you in. I'll do that. When when is it? Or just request to be in the video. It's in a few days. I think it's on Friday, so it'll be your Saturday. Right. Well, it's good to know that I interviewed you first. Um, no, nah, <laughs> this, this is all the trash talk, <laughs> but Mirko's, Mirko's a good bloke. We're friends, um, and his podcast is good. I've even been on it, so you know, podcast cross uh, podcast cross promotion anyway. Um, anyway, Ben, it's been lovely to chat. I'm going to go have my birthday pancakes now. Um, yeah, happy birthday. Thank you, and you know, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. And um, yeah, it's been it's been a great chat, and yeah, loved having you on. Yeah, and uh, I hope one day to get to visit the Sub Zero shop and taste a whole bunch of coffee. Yeah, hopefully one day I get to come do some snowboarding in, in the Rockies and and drop by Monogram and 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 sort of hurl hurl um, hurl some banter across the bar. Absolutely, we'll host you. All right, thank you, Ben, and as always, everyone, stay cool. Yeah.